All right. Thank you, Katie and Katie listeners, for joining me on the first live Meet in the Middle show where we share dialogue on complex issues with local thought leaders with differing opinions. The hope is for listeners to gain new perspective and empower freedom of expression. I'm Dan Richardson, and today's topic is our two-political party system. Is it broken or just badly bent? It's also KDNK's membership drive, and I'm asking you to renew or become a new member right now by going to kdnk.org or calling 970-963-0139. As a former Carbondale mayor, I can't tell you how many times people told me how magical Carbondale is, and as a KDNK listener and member for roughly 25 years, I can attest that KDNK is largely responsible for creating and sustaining that magic. So please join or renew right now. Okay, today my guests are Greg Rippey and Curtis Harrison. Hi, Greg. Good afternoon, Dan. Hi, Curtis. Howdy. All right. Um, Greg is the current chair of the Garfield County Republicans. He was our state representative from 2000 to 2004. And for many decades, he's been the president and co-owner of Grand River Construction. I could, I could go on, but I kept it short. Uh, Curtis is the interim state lead for the Colorado Forward Party an emerging political party that welcomes conservatives and liberals and independents and libertarians. So again, welcome, guys. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, Curtis, you can hear us okay? Yep. Great. Okay. So thank you both for being here and for all you do for our communities. I thought it was timely to discuss the merits and challenges of our two political party systems so near to Election Day. I would argue that the Founding Fathers didn't necessarily favor a two-party system, and unlike many other countries, while technically we have multiple parties, they are statistically insignificant. I'll also point out that many local jurisdictions, like the town of Carbondale, hold nonpartisan elections, so candidates don't mention party affiliation, which I can attest to is really wonderful. Um, That said, we have uh, functioned as a two-party system for well over a century, so there must be some benefits. First, a few quick statistics to set the stage. Colorado now has more unaffiliated voters than Republicans or Democrats. In 2020, Colorado had the second highest turnout and always has been a leader in all aspects of elections. And a recent NPR poll indicates that 64% of Americans say democracy is in crisis and is at risk of failing. So my first question is, our two-party system, is, is our two-party system exacerbating this crisis or is there hope that it can pull us out of it? So, Greg, I thought as a longtime Republican, I'd give it to you and say, what do you think about that? Is it going to exacerbate or, or help us? Well, thanks, Dan. First off, I'd like to say that even though I am the chairman of the Republican Party, I'm not speaking as the chairman of the Republican Party. Okay. I'm speaking as a 67-year resident of Garfield County and Glenwood Springs. So I don't think the existence of the two-party system is exacerbating the issue. I think there are problems in the two-party system. I, for one, do not like our caucus system in Colorado. Um, and, and when we, because I don't think it's very inclusive. Um, people are intimidated by going to a caucus. I remember when I was 18, the first caucus I went to, it was in somebody's home. The numbers fell off so badly, and, and there were people not showing up in some precincts, and so they decided to have one caucus for the county. Well, that's intimidating to a lot of people. They don't understand the caucus system, 
And what what it really leads to, I think, and I can only speak about the Republican Party because I've looked at it, I've lived it, is that I don't think we necessarily always put um, the best, the most inclusive candidate for sure out there. So one of the things I'd like to see change is a, a change in the caucus system or the system on, on how we nominate people to the ballots in Colorado within the parties. The fact that there's two parties, um, and as you pointed out, 43% majority party of unaffiliated, I think it's because they become disillusioned. And I, I think it's people that lean right, people that lean right or lean left as well, saying, you know, with the system that we've got right now, I don't really fit in there. Mm-hmm. And so um, the unaffiliateds have so much power in our state right now. And people used to say, well, you know, if you're not registered with a party, you're, you're, uh, you're losing your chance in a primary system to help select the candidate. I think the unaffiliateds right now are brilliant and hold a whole bunch of power. And candidates have to appeal to the unaffiliateds and they have to have a message that they think resonates for whatever office they're working for. Kind of a long-winded um, answer to that. But what you didn't say in, in my brief little bio, in 2004, I was a loser for Congress. And we can talk about that a little bit in a nine-way primary. Right. Um, yeah, I was sad that day. Um, um, well, thank you for that answer, Greg, and I think you touched on some important parts uh, or important components. Curtis, you want to take a stab at that? Is our two-party system exacerbating the crisis, or is there hope it can pull us out? Thank you. That's a really good question. Uh, and real quick, Sam, thanks for hosting us, uh, and Greg, thanks for coming up to talk. Really excited to learn from you, and I think this is a, a really important conversation to be having. Um, in terms of the question, I think it's definitely at least exacerbating the problem, and it might even be the cause of the problem. I don't quite know enough to know for sure, but a two-party system inherently incentivizes divisiveness because when there's just two parties, every issue gets reduced to the same artificial binary fight. And that toxic fighting is trickling down into our everyday lives, right? That's why we're seeing friends with friends and neighbors who won't speak to each other and family gatherings that are becoming tense with off-limit topics. Um, And I think a lot of that boils down to trying to reduce every issue to just two answers. And that's inherently what a two-party system does, right? Voters are voting for which um, vision for a solution to the future they think is best suited to them. And when there's only two options, every issue has to break down into the same binary fight. And this is leading, as Greg touched on, to a very broken primary system where more and more polarized candidates are winning because that's how you get the um, really passionate base to come out in the primary election. And so we end up with more and more extreme politicians, each trying to represent oversimplified points of view, because there's only two, and they have to define themselves as opposition to the other. Um, and I think it's really led to this current crisis. And if we want to talk about the current you know, threats to our democracy, a lot of that comes from the effect of having two massive parties who try to convince us every two years that if they don't win this election, the quote-unquote other side will somehow destroy the country. Right? And so if we have repeated elections where we hear that same narrative over and over, eventually each side is able to convince themselves that they're justified in doing anything to prevent the other side from winning. 
And I think that's really at the root cause of, you know, all this frustration in politics, as well as, you know, these claims on both sides of fraud, election diversion, and things like that. Great. Thank you, Curtis. Um, I'm hearing some some common threads between the two of you, um, uh, but also some differences. Curtis, why don't you take this next question first? Um, are our current two parties enough to hold both elected officials and the electorate accountable? And I think you started speaking to that, um, Curtis, but I'll, I'll let you uh, keep going with that. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, one of the biggest arguments in favor of the two-party system is actually accountability, right? If there's only two parties, then whichever party is in power, we can hold them accountable for the state of the country because they're in charge. But what we actually see happening in practice is because the American Constitution gave us a republic with so many checks and balances and veto points, which I think is a good thing, um, it means that a powerful minority party, which is almost always the case since no party wins a supermajority very often, um, a powerful minority can basically block every single piece of legislation that the dominant party wants to get accomplished. And what that means is you can't hold anyone accountable, because when one party is in power, the other party is doing everything they can to prevent any legislation from moving forward and gridlock to occur, and vice versa. Now, of course, there's great exceptions. This year we've seen some really you know, good bipartisan work, and especially in recent years, um, or a little bit longer ago than recent years, sorry, um, there was lots more. So it's certainly possible in a two-party system. Um, but at least right now, and I think in general, there's far less accountability in a two-party system than we've been led to believe. And th thank you, Curtis. I, I want to be clear, too, that to me, as an electorate, we have to be held accountable as well. And I think you mentioned something that uh, the parties can hold, um, essentially hold the process um, hostage, and I think voters are part of that as well. But Greg, any thoughts on uh, the accountability for both elected officials and the electorate? Sure. And a little bit to uh, Curtis's point, you know, we, we had a primary, open primary, <clears throat> which um, is six years old now, I think, that we've uh, allowed open primaries. Turnout was 35% in Garfield County. So if you want to talk about accountability, I think the electorate Hold some accountability mm -hmm. in this as well, yeah. and and Curtis, I won't re refute your points because they're they're valid, but I see things happening with groups such as NoLabels.org that are really pushing for bipartisanship for solution. There are certain issues that the two sides are are never going to agree on, um, but there are way more that they can and understand what is good for uh, whether it's town of Carbondale or whether it's the United States of America. And so I, I, I think this bubbling up of this frustration that we're seeing across the country is having some changes right now in the way people behave and maybe getting away from the strident um, binary solution that Curtis alluded to. Um, I'm always an optimist. And I, I think our democracy is great. But when we fail to participate in, as electorates, and you were right about uh, our highest turnout ever in the general election um, two years ago, but in a critical primary process, we had a 35% turnout. Yeah, that's disappointing. Although I would say you mentioned the open primaries. I think that's been a step in the right direction. Would either of you agree or disagree? 
well, I I was disappointed I didn't vote for it when it was put through. Um, but now with unaffiliated, it's being 43%. Um, I, I've kind of changed okay. and, and, and think that um, it's proven that it's workable in Colorado. Curtis, any thoughts on that open primary? Yeah, I, I wholly support the partially open primaries we have here. Um, it helps us mitigate one of the most dangerous side effects of the two-party system, which is the way that people who don't support one of the two parties get you know, shut out of the process of choosing candidates. Yeah. So I, I think it's a huge move direction for us. Well, I think one of the things that you that have seen in the last couple of years is uh, candidates uh, in both parties petitioning on the ballots instead of going through the process that we have in the caucus. I, I think this is a, a huge flag that says... Um, you know, it it is too binary in in the caucus system and how we do it right now. And candidates um, that are worried about running to one side of the base are now saying, you know, I'm not going to go through that process and I'm going to uh, petition on. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's worth noting, I listened to a podcast where they were talking about the notion of a third party and uh, the speaker talked about how there isn't there isn't this third pool of people or this third ideology there's really not, they their studies show there were at least nine distinct different ideologies that are outside you know the right or the left and so it does speak to um you know just how many how many views are out there and and that is a good segue into my next question um Curtis I'll give this one to you first um in most European countries, they routinely routinely form new coalition governments that allow multiple parties to cooperate, and it prevents any party from holding that absolute majority you were talking about, Curtis. Um, any thoughts on, on that approach? And, and again, I don't think we're going to rewrite our Constitution, but it's this concept of um, kind of this forced collaboration that we we used to have in Congress, but maybe not so much anymore. Curtis? Yeah, um, it's a really good point, um, and I think it's you know really possible within the current bounds of the Constitution because um, the Constitution says nothing about the two-party system. In fact, you know, the founding fathers warned us against developing a two-party system because of the harms it would bring to us. Um, but in terms of the question, you know, if you think of a negotiation, and you know, and there's only two sides, and they each want to win, right? There's only going to be one winner and one loser, quote unquote, depending on the way you look at it. Um, and so they see each other as the enemy, right? I have to outperform you in the next election, so I don't want you to look good, even if I like your legislation. And maybe you don't want to let me get any successes, you know what I mean? And often we disagree on the answer, so it's hard to find common ground. Whereas if you think of um, a governmental system with even four or five parties, uh, it doesn't have to be very many, but just a few more voices let um, able to participate, then you know everyone could be your ally sometimes and the opponent other times. And so it really opens up not only the possibilities of forming consensus and finding a solution that works for everyone, but also in seeing the other parties as potential allies instead of always the enemy. Um, and of course, there's exceptions, but I think many of the big establishments of, part- of both parties consider the other to be the opponent or enemy in at least some way all the time. And so I really do think if there were four or five players at the table, um, it's far easier to find space where you align with two or three on this issue, two or three on this issue, you know what I mean, and really pass legislation that actually serves the majority of Colorado. Thanks, Chris. Greg? 
So first of all, I, I, I don't think we should try and model over uh, European forms of democracy. Um, we've, we've seen what's happened in Italy for the last 10 years, and that's not a model that I would ever hope that we replicate. I think they've had 69 different governments in the last, like, 50 years. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's, that's not the model. It, it, it doesn't. So I don't believe that the problem is in the two-party system. I think it's in the people, one, and the money. When, when you're talking about the money that flows into campaigns, it's obscene at this point. Um, if, if you're talking about trying to get five other parties at the table, they're, they're, they're not going to have the money to be able to compete um, on, on the media buys, and that's when it gets back to the voters' accountability. I mean, because if, if they're choosing someone because they like his hair on a commercial and don't really want to delve into the, the issues and what they stand for. And, and, and Curtis, I, I know it's, it, it seems like I was in the House of Representatives not that long ago, but it was 22 years ago that I uh, wow. started. And what we see now didn't exist then. Um, I carried in the House as the prime sponsor probably 50 bills of Democrat sponsors in the Senate because they were good legislation. At that time, it was a Republican-controlled um, House and Senate, and so there was some need to have a uh, Republican trying to carry it in the House. But it, and and most, most of them, and I'm happy to call him a friend, Ed Perlmutter, I carried most his bills coming out of the Senate into the House. So what what is what is flipped that has changed it it's not the system that's in there it's the culture and the people that have changed and i think it goes back to your accountability because as 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 voters we're not holding them accountable you know politicians will um they do what they can to get elected some even uh, revert to lying uh, false promises but you got every two years to fire them if you keep track of what's going on. Great. You, want, you brought up a good point that I want to come back to, but I want to remind KDNK listeners that it is the membership drive, so please renew or become a new member right now by joining KDNK.org or calling 970-963-0139 and be a part of an award-winning station that is respected across the nation. Um, Greg, that's. I think it's fascinating that I that it didn't dawn on me. You said that you know, 22 years ago, we didn't have as partisan of a of a of circumstances as we do now, and I agree with that. And you're right that our party didn't or our system hasn't changed. It's just the people. Um, so, Curtis, any any thoughts on that? On why did it work 20, 30, 40 years ago, but not now? Yeah, it's a really good question, right? And by all accounts and purposes, we've had a two-party system now for much longer than even that. Um, first, I'd say if you look at um, leading up to the civil rights movement, um, we kind of had a shadow two-party system where each party included both liberals and conservatives from different regions of the country, um, and that allowed for you know a lot more you know, cross-the-aisle work than we see nowadays. Uh, but even in more recent history, I, I'd argue that our system has changed quite dramatically. Um, 
through various pieces of legislation and Supreme Court decisions. A big example of that would be Citizens United, um, now just about a decade ago, and you know, releasing a flood of dark money into our political system just exacerbated all the issues that were already present in the two-party system. You know, maybe they weren't as visible before or manifesting in the same strength, um, but I think they were absolutely there. And and Greg, kind of to counter your point too is. Um, I do think one of the the genius aspects of our Constitution is the founders knew people and human nature pretty well, and I think they designed a system that sort of prevents us from harming ourselves too much, right? And I think um, while I the optimist in me agrees that we just need people to vote and we need people to, to be more open, the reality of it is they're not that way, so do we need to modify the system to to account for that is, I guess, my question. You know, can we rely on people to act uh, in the community's best interest? You know, I'm in the asphalt paving business, and and we've always had this saying that um, how many potholes do you have to get in the roads before people are fed up with it? I think it's the same in our political system. Uh-huh. How how disillusioned do we have to become? until we demand that accountability. Um, I, I've been saying for years that, you know, maybe maybe there's a place for a third party. But the challenge, I, I mean, to get a viable national third party, the challenge to it, and, you know, Christy Todd Whitman um, has, has just broached that recently, which I think is an, an incredibly interesting um, concept that she's trying to put forward. But, you know, if, if we go back on national politics, the last time that we really had a viable third candidate was in 1992 when Ross Perot took 18.8% of the votes, mm-hmm. the highest number of votes since Teddy Roosevelt um, in the Bull Moose Party in, in 1912. I didn't know that. And, and you know, <clears throat> that, that was a huge percentage. Um, and just and, and it was the Reform Party, and they just couldn't keep the momentum, um, and, and maybe their messages weren't that deep. But it's it's a it's a whale of a challenge to say are are we really going to have a third party now? When and and that's why I like local politics so much because a lot of it's not what the initial behind your name is. Right. You're in the community. You see people in the grocery stores, and that even goes to a state representative as, as you travel around. Um, that's that's the fun part of politics is um, having to meet somebody in the grocery store and de- defend your position and explain it. Yep. Mr. Mayor. <laughs> <laughs> Old has-been mayor. Um, Curtis, that's a... That's a good segue. I know you're involved in the forward party, but any thoughts on Greg's comments about the, the challenge of the third party? Yeah, absolutely. And, right, it's a, it's a good fundamental point. If you know most Americans say they want a third party, why don't we have any, right? There are obviously many, but here in Colorado we have seven registered um, political parties, and yet only two make up all of our elected representatives in the, in the state legislature. Um, and so it seems like people are lying, not lying, but not being honest, right? They, they don't actually want a third party. They just think they do. Um, and it brings us back even to Perot because, and I'm so glad you brought him up, is, you know, why are we stuck here? And it turns out that legal scholars have known for decades what the problem is. 
the effect is called Duverger's law, and it basically just says the exact way that we run our elections almost always leads to an entrenched two-party system like the one we're trapped in. And you ask why Perot or other third parties couldn't gain momentum. And the real fact of the matter is they spoiled an election. They made a ton of people really angry because they spoiled an election. And any third party or independent candidate is going to continue to spoil elections because of the archaic and broken election system that we use. You know, and it isn't that there's an inherent flaw to third parties or to independents. There's an inherent flaw in the way that we choose our representatives. And so the way out of this rut, the way out of the two-party system that we're stuck in, that most Americans want to get out of, is electoral reform and changing the way we vote. So here in Colorado, I'd recommend you adopt a new way of voting. Personally, my favorite is ranked choice voting. There's a lot of options that are better than our current broken system. Um, approval voting, star voting, lots of support in different ways. Um, and everyone can kind of pick their favorite. But I personally like ranked choice voting. And if we adopted one of those styles of voting and expanded our districts to have multiple winners instead of just winner, one winner, it would allow for something called proportional representation, which is basically just an election system that means that everyone gets their fair voice in the final legislature, not just in the voting process. Um, and that would give us the inverse outcome of Duverger's law. It would give us multi-party democracy and help free us from the current system that we're trapped in. Thanks, Curtis. And I'm just going to warn us all that we're getting down to just about a minute, minute or two left. But, um, Greg, you and I have talked briefly about ranked choice. What are your thoughts on it? It's, it's interesting. There's a number of different um, models that you can do ranked choice voting on. Um, the interesting thing is um, the, where they've done ranked choice voting in 95% of the elections, this is fairvote.org, a great uh-huh. website if you want to take a look at it, um, 95% of them, the same person would have won, whether it was ranked choice voting or not. So we're talking about 5% of the elections out there that it may make a difference on. Now, that may be due to uh, people not being as familiar with RCV as, as they uh, may get later. Um, but if we look at the, the interesting thing, and I, the most latest one is the uh, state of Alaska. And it wouldn't have made any difference if it was ranked choice voting or not. We would have still elected, they would have still elected the same representative. Interesting. Well, oftentimes data don't lie. Um, we're definitely winding down, and I want to make sure before we close that I thank you both. Um, this has been, uh, you know, I love these discussions. So uh, thank you, Curtis and Greg, for joining me today. And please stay tuned for more Meet in the Middle shows covering many diverse topics. Thanks, thank, guys. Thanks for thank doing you. this. Thanks.